I've always kind of wanted to play the guitar. Since I was 13 and I heard Nirvana for the first time, I thought to myself, man, that'd be cool. That'd be really cool. So since I was, since um, 13, I've picked up a guitar about once a year, sometimes more than once, uh, to learn how to play guitar. And over the past 20 years, I can tell you that I have learned how to play zero songs. Just none. None. Uh, I got half a brown-eyed girl one time. We were getting close, uh, but that's about as far as I've ever, ever actually made it. Because starting something is really easy, isn't it? But finishing something is really, really hard. And Jesus recognizes this just about human life in general. And I, what I love about Jesus is Jesus is never like, never like pleading. He's never like clawing. He's never trying to like force you or twist your arm into doing something you don't want to do. If you read the Gospels, he's got crowds of people all around him. And he's constantly stopping and saying, hey, listen, guys, be serious about this because I'm not joking around. And if you're not serious about this, you know, go, go do something else. It's okay. In Luke uh, chapter 14, the crowds are pressing in around him, and he stops, and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, because which of you who wants to build a tower doesn't sit down first and, and do the math and figure out, can I actually finish this thing? Because if you, don't, if you don't do that, you'll lay the foundation but won't be able to finish the tower and everyone will look at you and laugh and say, this guy can't complete anything. Or which of you, uh, who, what king would, would go to war against another king without stopping and, and, and doing some assessment and figuring out whether the, the 10,000 that he's got can defeat the 20,000 of the enemy? And if he realizes that he can't, he sends a delegation for peace. And so, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. That's... That's a way to thin a crowd out fast, isn't it? (laughs) That's a way to thin a crowd out fast. And I love that Jesus is always interested in thinning the crowds. Because he he recognizes that everyone standing around is ready to say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm really interested in what you've got to say, Jesus. Man, I've seen you feed people. I've seen you heal people. You've really made me feel warm and gooey and fuzzy inside like God loves me and all that stuff. It's a great start. But are you willing to see it through to the end? Are you willing to follow day in and day out? Jesus is serious about this. And so he he lays down that challenge, that central challenge that says, listen, if you're just ready to start but aren't ready to finish, then don't even bother. Don't even bother. Because it is central to the Christian life, central to everything that we are about, to be a people that is consistent that is steadfast, that is unwavering, that is unflinching, that endures even in the toughest and most trying times. And so as we, as we go through this series talking about virtue, talking about what it is to live the Christian life, as we read from Second um, Peter chapter 1, we come to this, uh, this next link in our chain in Second Peter 
uh, chapter 1. Helps if I turn it on. Verses 5, and I forgot to write 6, but 6. Uh, 6 begins right here. Says this, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So it says, um, For this very reason, make every effort. How much effort? I thought you would have been on that a little better because we worked on this last week, guys. Make how much effort? Every, every effort. Why make every effort? Because he just told us about the, the very great and tremendous promises. He just told us about the divine nature, the Holy Spirit that is inside you and empowering you and filling you with the kind of ability to do, as Matt said, incredible things. To be a person of purpose. That's each and every one of your calling in Jesus Christ. So make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue with moral excellence, with a life that is upright and outstanding. Add to virtue knowledge. Seek knowledge. Seek to know God more. Seek to know him deeper. Ask tough questions. Don't always assume, don't always assume you're right, right? But seek other voices to learn and to grow, to sharpen your knowledge, to add to knowledge self-control. As we talked about last week, and to add to self-control, steadfastness. I'm probably going to use the word consistency a lot. I really like the idea of consistency. And steadfastness kind of captures that as well. That we are consistently following God. That we're steadfast and pursuing him with all of our hearts and with all of our beings. And so let me begin by asking the question, how does, how does um, consistency or steadfastness, how does it relate to self-control? Well, I think it's relatively obvious. As we talked about last week, self-control isn't just about right and wrong. Infants in the faith, and if you're there this morning, fantastic. Just don't stay there. Grow, right? But an infant in the faith is asking big questions about black and white issues. Is this wrong? Is this not wrong? As you grow in the faith and you begin to leave that sort of obvious sin stuff behind, things get a little grayer and a little more difficult. But you begin to stop asking questions about is this right and is this wrong? And you begin to ask questions of, is this the best thing for me? Is this how I can know more about God, experience more about God, share God with somebody else, right? Is, is, is this the best thing for me? And that's what self-control is all about, is restraining the self so that we can pursue a deeper relationship and knowledge of who God is. And of course, if self-control only happens once in a while, what good is it? Right? If you're on a diet and you only observe it at breakfast, you're not going to get very far. You're not going to lose a whole lot of weight. In fact, you'll probably add more weight on because you're like, well, I was good at breakfast. What good is an, is an exercise program if you only do it once a week or once every other week or some of you once a month, right? You're going to lose any weight that way? Are you going to get fit and healthy? Are you going to add that 12 years that I mentioned last week onto your life? No, you're not, right? In, in order to be healthy and, and take care of this great body that God has given you, then you are going to need to, day in and day out, with consistency, master yourself. And the same thing is true with our spiritual lives. 
You can't have faith once in a while. You can't have, well, I'll seek knowledge here or there. Or maybe this morning I'll go to church. Or maybe, maybe this week I'll go to Bible study on Wednesday night. And maybe I'll add a little self-control to my life this week. Or maybe I'll add a little virtue if I feel like it. No, no that doesn't work, does it? You will never make any progress in the Christian life if that's how you treat it. No, every single day, every single day, with consistency, seeking that which is best, seeking that which, is God, which God has offered to you and given to you through his very great and precious promises. And so as we've looked at this, these as links in a chain, it makes a lot of sense that self um, that after self-control, we would get to steadfastness, that you'd recognize self-control isn't a once-in-a-while thing, but a weekly, daily, minute even thing that we do. And so I want to ask the question then next, what, what, do we, what do we achieve through self-control? What do we receive? What does God give us through self-control? Well, first, or I'm sorry, steadfastness. Steadfastness. First, steadfastness is necessary for salvation, And notice that Jesus says this in Luke chapter 21, verse 19. By standing firm, he says, you will gain life. We have parallel passages in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13 and, and elsewhere in the scriptures. There's a lot of emphasis placed on this idea of seeing your faith through to the end. Seeing your faith through to the end. We use this phrase... Often, I got saved. We were driving yesterday in the car, and we were listening to I don't know, a Christian radio station or something, or a CD, or I don't even know what it was. But they were talking about getting saved on the song. We use this phrase a lot, and I know what we mean by that. We mean that somebody used to follow the paths of this world, and now they're following God. And so the promises and privileges are attributed to them now that, one, that wasn't there at one point. But you are not fully saved until you stand before God and have passed through the judgment, right? I mean, salvation is something we're hoping to receive. That's, that's a hope yet to be fully fulfilled and realized. And so we have passages like Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, which says, for you need endurance. And that word is the same word that we have here in 2 Peter uh, chapter, chapter 1, verse 6. Steadfastness is the same word, uh, hupomenes, You have need of endurance. You have need of steadfastness. You have need of consistency so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians is speaking and he says, says, listen, I I control my body. I beat it into submission lest after I preach to other people, I myself am disqualified. Paul recognizes then that, that he could plant lots of churches and write lots of books and and do all kinds of great things for the Lord. But if at some point before his death, he walks away, he says, you know what, I'm done with this Jesus thing. I don't really, I don't want to do this anymore. He will have proved that his faith was not saving faith and he will not receive the promises. And so we must be consistent, the scriptures say over and over again, all the way to the end. I don't know what your week was like. I don't know if the seas were calm or stormy. But whatever situation you find yourself in this morning, my word to you is if you're a believer, hold fast. 
Be steadfast in your faith. Be constant in your way of life, even though you don't feel like it, even though it's difficult, even though you're tempted and tried to give up. Steadfastness, this very word steadfastness, assumes that you are holding up underneath some kind of pressure. That there is some external issue, some sort of temptation, some reason that you are being pulled away and yet in the midst of that pressure, in the midst of that temptation, you are firm. You are fixed to the rock that is Jesus Christ and you are unwavering, unmoving in your faith. I want to encourage you to recognize that great power that you have. To grab hold of it and remain steadfast no matter what comes. Because steadfastness sees us through suffering. Steadfastness sees us through suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 6 says this. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Which you experience when you patiently endure. And here again is the same word that we've been using in Greek. Endure, consistent through, steadfast through the same sufferings that we suffer. We might read the scriptures, and often I encourage you to do this. When you find yourselves in times of trouble, open up the Psalms. It's amazing how often, as we turn to the Psalms, we think of David as a great man of faith. And he often says things like, God, where are you? You ever felt like that? Where are you, God? My body hurts. My family's broken. The world is falling apart. I can't handle one more news story about one more death or one more terrible thing. Where are you, God? The Psalms are replete with this call. And yet by the end of the Psalm, David is always firm and fixed and says, Yet I will wait on the Lord. And I will see the Lord in the land of the living. We look at Job. We look at Esther. We look at faithful Elijah. We look at Stephen, who knees bent, stones coming at him, even as he dies, bears witness to the love and power of Jesus Christ. You know, we have this testimony from the ancient world, from Tertullian, a very famous quote, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That it is through suffering most especially that we are able to show this thing that we're proclaiming to the world. Faith. 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 And yet I don't want you to think for a second that you are on your own in this effort. God empowers us. God empowers us to be steadfast. What have we seen in all of these virtues? Every single time we've come to a virtue and we've explored what the scriptures have said about them, each time we have noticed how God empowers us to see it through. It's not as though you've been, you know, God's been pushing you through this and uh, through faith and through virtue and through knowledge and he's been leading you into self, uh, self-control and now finally it's come to steadfastness and you're on your own, muscle through, good luck, guys. No, right? Um, Emery is of the age now where she wants to help me with everything. And I don't know if you've ever had a five-year-old try to help you. They aren't any help at all. None. Zero helping. I'll be carrying something heavy, and she'll be like, Daddy, let me help you. And she runs. And, and I, you know, it, it's entirely possible that there's some fractional part of the weight of this awkward object that she is actually bearing up. But whatever amount it is, I'm not noticing it, Right? And as I was thinking about this text here from um, Colossians, 
where Paul is speaking a blessing over the believers. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. May you be strengthened with all power according to whose glorious might? Right, because you're the five-year-old man. That's you. You're the five-year-old. And it's not that you're not participating. It's not like you have no, you know, no capacity or no, no unction in the things that God's doing in your life. But he's bearing the brunt of the weight. He has filled you with the Holy Spirit so that you might have the kind of power that before you didn't have. Because before, when you came to testing, you gave up. Before, when times got tough, he said, forget it. Before, you were willing just to throw up your hands and just give it all up. But now, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you are filled with something more than you had before. And you, with Christ, have strength to overcome. That's incredible. Incredible news. And so what I want you to hear as we talk about steadfastness is, I'm not saying, hey, listen, you need, you need to muscle through and you got to work harder. What I want you to do is to recognize the power that God has placed in you. Seize that power and overcome. Seize that power and overcome. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's interesting that Paul doesn't say, greater are you than the world. No, he says, greater is he that is in you because you have been empowered by the Spirit of God to be the kind of people who overcome even in the most difficult, even in the most evil of situations. Your light can shine. That's, that's incredible and wonderful news. And it leads me to a very controversial conclusion. That is this. That steadfastness, that endurance, that consistency in faith is the Christian response to evil. Now we often wonder how do we deal with this world that's so evil? How do we deal with a world that is so incredibly broken? How do we deal with a world that we know has pers- is persecuting Christians at a fiercer rate than has ever been documented in the history of the world? I, I love Revelation. As many of you know, it's my, my favorite book of the Bible. And, and some people like Revelation because um, it, they, they think it's all about the future. And then there's other people who will argue that Revelation is all about the past. And I think they're both wrong. Everybody's wrong except for me. You didn't know that already? Right? <laughs> Revelation speaks truth that was true then, is true now, and will be true in the future. Because they, 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 they persecuted Christians back then. And they're persecuting Christians now. And I'm relatively certain that they're going to persecute Christians tomorrow. Right? This isn't something that's going to change. And there's a word that comes out of Revelation in the midst of such fierce persecution. And, and, and it should just make us stop and be caught in awe. It says this. If anyone is taken into captivity, into captivity he goes. If anyone is slain with the sword, with the sword... He must be slain. Here is, an, a call, here is a call for the endurance. Again, that same hupomenes. Endurance, consistency, steadfastness, and faith of the saints. Faith. Faith. How do we deal with evil? How does Jesus deal with the evil of the world? He takes it upon his back and he carries it. It's interesting that Jesus would then turn to his disciples and say, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his... Oh, you're on top of that one. Well done. 
I want you to recognize that when Jesus says cross to the Jews that are standing there, they're not thinking self-denial. They're not thinking, well, I know you want to sleep in this morning, but you're going you're gonna to muscle through and go to church today. Or, hey, I'm going to be nice to that guy that wasn't nice to me or isn't nice to me. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he says cross, he means the things that they nail people to. The things that they execute people on. He says, your enemies are going to put you up to death. You take up the cross and carry it in front of them. And show them that you are not afraid of their evil. You are not afraid of their power. You are not afraid of death itself. Why? Because Jesus Christ has overcome both grave and cross. Which is why Tertullian could say that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because what, what happened in those days, back in the early days of the church, is that they were rounding Christians up and they're throwing them to lions. They were giving them into the, the pits of the gladiatorial games. And there they would vivisect. They would cut open in front of all of the people. This was their entertainment. They would cut people open. They would throw swords to them and make them fight to the death. And you know what people usually did? They screamed and they cursed and they shouted at the crowds but you know what happened with the christians they led the christians in the middle of them the christians got on their knees and they prayed for their enemies and people said what in the world is wrong with these people because from the beginning of time until right now we've never seen anyone who does a thing like this it's scandalous that they would love their enemies scandalous that they would pray for their enemies scandalous that they would meet evil even evil death with faith We see this great word, Revelation 12, 11, they conquered. If you read Revelation, the whole book is about this one word, conquer, overcome. They conquered him that is the devil, that is death, that is their enemies. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony because they loved not their lives unto the death. Revelation 6 has this imagery of the martyrs crying out to God and saying, God, how long? You ever been there? God, how long? And God doesn't say to them, listen, I'm a God of love and I'm just going to give the whole world a bear hug and everyone's going to be okay in the end. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm coming to judge. I will judge evil and all who participated in it and there will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning. You need to wait. You need to be patient. You need to preach because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against forces of darkness that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And it is we who have been called to do the same thing that Jesus did, and that is to love and to preach. To love and to preach. Therefore, steadfastness is a quality that is required if we are to live a life that is pleasing to God. Consistency is necessary if we wish to please God. Romans 2, 7 says, to those who are consistent in seeking good and seeking glory and honor and immortality, then what? Then he will give eternal life. And that's what we're after. We're after eternal life. We're after to see God. We want to be full of the power of the Spirit. We want to see him move, and we want to see, ultimately, the redemption of all things. And if we are to do that, then we must hold fast 
to consistency, to steadfastness, to add to that faith. He adds to this, though, he says in, um, in our chain here, we're to add to steadfastness, godliness. It's not just a steadfastness, but a steadfastness that is attached to, to action. And this is an action word. Previously, we've talked about virtue and we've talked about self-control. And, and these are speaking about things um, in terms of what we want to have. So we want to be loving and joyful and patient peaceful and patient and kind and all those sorts of things. We want to stay away from malice and anger and, and, and revenge and all of these other evil things, right? It's speaking about those sorts of things. But here we get to this word godliness, and I like the word piety because it kind of gets at the idea that this is an action word. This is a word that is saying, now we are going to begin to do something. In fact, um, the, word, the word here is attached to, uh, to fear, we read of God-fearers and acts, uh, men like Cornelius, who through worship recognized who God is and then worshiped God accordingly. And that's, that's what this word is referring to. If you recognize who God is, you recognize his holiness, you recognize the word that we just said that he is coming to judge, we recognize his love, we recognize the ultimate being who is God, even in the smallest extent. How would we then respond to that? We would respond to that with the word that we use, worship. We would worship God. We would find ways of, of, of giving God actual time, actual worship, actual prayers, the reading of scriptures, the, the giving of alms, the, the loving the brotherhood and meeting together in one another's house with glad and sincere hearts and breaking bread and, and sharing our possessions and, and being there for one another. This would be the action of worship that we're after. And so after all of this, after he says, you know, you're adding knowledge and you're growing in the, the, the leaving behind sinful activities and, and you've grown into self-mastery and you're beginning to control yourself and you're doing this steadfastly, it's now time to talk about worship. Worship. What are you actually giving to God in terms of time? What are you actually giving to God in terms of prayer? What are you actually doing for the brothers and sisters that are sitting all around you to prove and show your love for God as God loves the person sitting next to you, whether you do or not, right? (laughs) Piety, then, is of eternal value. And it is a logical response. It is a logical response to the gospel. 2 Peter 3, verse 11 says this, Since all these things and that's everything around us, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and piety? If you ponder for a moment that, that, very, that very notion, everything's to be dissolved, everything's gonna pass away, how should you respond to the God who is eternal? How should you respond to him? You should do it through acts of worship, through acts of honest giving of yourselves before with godliness is great gain. I want to leave us this morning um, with a series of um, practical examples, things that we can do in our lives this week to begin to be the people who are full of piety, who are full of self-control, who are steadfast. And so these you can't practice just today, right, nor just Monday, nor just remember it maybe on Wednesday evening. Oh, that's right, I'm supposed to be doing some things. 
know, we give you sermon notes, write them down, think about them. But I wanted to give you some practical examples here this morning. First is this, to think upon your short stay in this world. People don't do this very often, and they don't do it because for them, for those who are not in Christ, it's a miserable thought. I don't want to think about death. Like it's, um, that's like you think of blackening the windows and listening to death metal in the dark, right? That's not what I'm suggesting. Although I guess you can do that if you want. This is to think about the fact that we are a mist. That your life here is like this. And that would be terrifying if for the fact that God has promised to raise you up from the dead and to give you eternal life. And so in, in thinking about the future, we begin to then take seriously the present. That if we think about the future and our short stay in this world, it means that making uh, how we spend time becomes a matter of conscience. That we begin to recognize that time is of the utmost value. I know that there is some point in this week where you'll think, well, this moment doesn't matter. That's not true. Every single moment you have matters. Every single second you breathe, God has given you so that you might use it for his glory. So that you might use it to better your relationship with him. So that you might use it to better the life of somebody around you. That you might bear testimony to his greatness and his goodness and his mercy and his love. Every single minute matters. And as a Christian, every single minute you will have to hold an account for. This is um, difficult. This is probably one of the things that we are so bad at these days. Mainly because of Netflix, man. Right? Because there is so much to fill our time with. There has never been more entertainment out there. Never been more opportunities to just waste a day. And yet, what do the scriptures say? Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Doing what? Making the best use of time. Because the days are evil. If there's one thing that I could criticize the church for today, criticize myself for today, it is that we do not value time. We don't treat it like it's holy. And it is holy. It's holy. So use it accordingly. Use it well. Use it steadfastly. Use it for piety. Use it to grow. Third, I would say, accustom yourself to holy thoughts. Accustom yourself to holy thoughts. I like this passage from Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3. It says, you keep him. And so this is, this is Isaiah speaking sort of in the third person. That is God. We would say, God keeps the person in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Is your mind stayed on God? Does it, does it go back to God again and again? Is that the... The, the, the place that your mind is constantly drawn like a magnet to contemplation of the glory of God and the goodness of your Savior. Accustom yourself to holy thoughts then. And you can do that so easily today. We've never also had a day where it's so easy to fill your mind with God. My goodness, sermon audio has got a bajillion sermons on them. Not all of them are good, but you know, when they're bad, don't listen to that guy again. Uh, Bible Gateway, it's an app that you can download on your phone and you can listen to the Bible anytime you want. You don't have to read it. You just hit play on your phone and there you go. Fill your mind with holy thoughts. 
Let it be consistently going back to God. Because listen, anything that is not consistently going back to God, it's just a waste of time. And let me say, you all are made for more than to waste time. We have been made for eternal things. So fill your minds and your hearts with eternal things. And lastly, I would say, be often among the godly. Be often among the godly. And I'm not just talking about church services and Wednesday night things, although those are fantastic. And and I want you to be here and be involved in it. But I'm saying make your relationships, have dinner with one another, spend time with one another. It is through the community of faith that we build each other up, that we have that common priority of holy thoughts and holy living and piety and goodness and self-control. You want to be self-controlled? Don't hang out with people that aren't self-controlled, right? Be often among the godly people. I love Psalm twenty-two, twenty-five. For from you comes my praise in the great congregation. It's funny how often David talks about this. He says, I'm praising you in the midst of your people because God doesn't want to just hear your voice. He wants to hear all of our voices singing together his praises before the world. As I've said before, one good Christian's an anomaly, right? How many of you know one good person at work? Right? You probably don't even know if they're a Christian or not. They're just, well, that's a nice guy, right? A good Christian, one person, just a nice guy. A group of Christians who are loving one another and enduring and striving day after day to love one another, to love God, to seek God, to master themselves, and to be people of holiness. That, that is something the world is not prepared for. That is something that changes the world. So let's be that kind of people, Yes? Let's be the kind of people who hold and seize fast to the power of the Spirit that has been given to us so that we might be people that Portage and Kalamazoo wonder at. Let's make a commitment to that today. Please stand as we sing the song.